sermon in a little series we're doing this month on Proverbs. And what we said last week about Proverbs is that really the Proverbs we read in the Bible are God's invitation for us to learn wisdom from previous generations as we wrestle with the truths they contain. If you've noticed the past two Sundays in our Old Testament readings, several of the the early chapters of Proverbs, each chapter starts with it's a father speaking to his his child and talking about learning with the wisdom of his parents. And so Proverbs really are saying, here's some, here's some truth, here's some wisdom that, that the previous generations have learned through life, through living, through God's revelation to them, and, and they're all written down so that we can wrestle with them and struggle with them and what they mean for us today. And it's in that wrestling with these Proverbs that we develop wisdom. And what we said last week is that the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about what we say. Last week we talked about the power of words, what words can do. Uh, there's a story about a Jewish, it's a Jewish story about a man who went around town slandering his rabbi and one day he realized how vicious his comments had been and so he went to the rabbi and he asked for forgiveness. And the rabbi told the man that he would forgive him on one condition. He has to go home cut up a feather pillow, and scatter the feathers to the wind. The man thought, that's kind of weird. This must be some old Jewish tradition I'm not familiar with. So he went home, and he did exactly what the rabbi said. And the next day he went back to the rabbi. He said, he said I did what you said. Am I forgiven now? One more thing, the rabbi said. Now go and gather back all the feathers. But that's impossible, said the man. Precisely, said the rabbi. And although you sincerely regret the damage you have done me, it is as impossible to undo it as it is to recover all those feathers. The power of words. This story illustrates exactly what James chapter 3 describes, that the tongue is, is a powerful force for good or evil. And I would extend that today. James chapter 3 is not just talking about the tongue, it's also talking about the thumbs, Right? Because a lot of our communicating these days happens through our thumbs, not our tongues. Now, that would be a weird statement to hear somebody say 20 years ago, right? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? But you think about it. Whether you're saying it or texting it, our words have power for good or for evil. With words, politicians win crowds. Sometimes with lies. Sometimes with flattery. Sometimes with vain promises. Words in a trial can either bring justice to acquit or convict or sometimes justice is perverted. With his words, a man proposes marriage and a woman either accepts or rejects. Yesterday on this platform, words were spoken that took two individuals and made them one. With words, a sound teacher exposes God's teaching to others and with words, a false teacher deceives others. And by His Word, God created the world, speaking into being everything that exists. Words have power. And because our tongues or our thumbs are the primary instruments of communication, it's vitally important that we guard what kinds of words come from them. And generally there are consequences to the use or the misuse of our words. There are rewards as well as dangers in the power of our speech. Proverbs 16, 23, and 24 says, The hearts of the wise 
make their mouths prudent, and their lips promote instruction. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And Proverbs 22.11 says, the one who, loves, one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have a king for a friend. So these Proverbs are examples of the ways in which prudent, grace-filled words can be rewarding. They can be sweeter to our souls than honeycomb. They can bring healing to our bones. They can help us to win friends and influence people. And so today I want to share with you some examples of these kinds of healing, refreshing, friendship-building words. These are the kinds of words that we should all seek to include in our speech every day. And the first is truthful words. Truthful words. Proverbs twelve seventeen uses the imagery of a courtroom. It says, An honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus instructs us to always speak truthfully. He says, as if every word we say was under oath in a court of law. We should always, you know, it's like people say, you know, don't lie in church. I always thought that was weird. So it's okay to lie outside of church. Is that what you're saying? No, we should always be truthful as if we're always in church. We should always talk as if we're always under oath. Proverbs 24, 26 uses a different, different image. Not a courtroom, but the imagery of a kiss. It says an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Think about that. If honesty was like kissing, and what is kissing? Kissing is an intimate expression of love. So if honesty is like that intimate expression of love, then lying must be a failure to love. A lack of love. See, when we keep the truth from people, we typically do it for our own gain, not for their good. And when we read the Bible, we learn that God's Spirit never uses dishonest or deceitful words. God is always truthful, and we would do well to always seek to be truthful as well. And a lie isn't just blatantly speaking falsehoods, is it? Sort of as Ben was saying in the children's sermon, we can lie not just in what we say, but in how we say it. We can state things in such a way as to be misleading. And in some ways, these kinds of half-truths or lies by omission, they're even more powerful and destructive than flat-out falsehoods, aren't they? Because they lend the appearance of being true, but they're not. So we should never, as Christians, use facts in a misleading way to advantage ourselves or our agendas. You know, there's a reason why trust in the mainstream media is the lowest today it's ever been. It's because the mainstream media has consistently uh, withheld facts, suppressed other news stories because it didn't fit their narrative. They've twisted the truth for their own political agendas. But guess what? We do the same thing. When we twist truth, when we leave out facts, when we try to deceive by saying a true way in a way that makes us look better than we really should look, and when we do that, we also lower people's trust in us, don't we? So if we're pointing our finger at the media, we've got to remember there's three more pointing right back at us, right? 
Paul says in Ephesians 4.25, speak truthfully to your neighbor. We should tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, right? We shouldn't resort to exaggeration or spin. We shouldn't leave out crucial pieces of information because they might make us look bad or contradict what we want someone to believe. Proverbs 19.5 talks about people who pour out lies. The Hebrew there literally means they lie with every breath. For some people, lying becomes a habit, doesn't it? Like they just can't help themselves. Everything they say, is, is the truth is at least tainted in some way. And we need to consider ourselves. We need to consider the ways in which we maybe are lying, pouring out lies, lying with our breath. We, we are more dishonest, I think, than we realize we are. So just a few examples of some of the lies we might be guilty of telling. Well, they're the polite lies. Now, as Southerners, this is a tough one. Because we're raised to be polite, aren't we? All right, we may tell little white lies to soften an answer, you know. You know, or maybe we have to tell somebody no, which, oh, is the worst thing in the world, I have to tell somebody no. So we would say something like, oh, we would love to come, but we're busy that night. Right? Or the one that I get most often, oh, I'll pray about it. All right, translation, no, but I don't want to tell the preacher no. So I'm going to pray about it. And then tell you no, all right? Now, our hearts are in the right place. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, right? Or is it that we don't want to make ourselves look bad? Is it that we're covering our bases, preserving our image? We want to appear like we have everything together. We want people to think we're more sophisticated than we really are. We want to appear super spiritual or generous or friendly. You know, we have a term for that in the South. It's called putting on airs. And that's oftentimes what we as Christians can be really bad at doing. And that's being deceitful. Okay, another kind of lie is exaggeration. Okay? You always, I never, are those factually true statements. No. We say those things to try to bludgeon the other person or to make ourselves look better than they, than they look. Or, you know, exaggeration never is helpful. And, and we need to be more truthful by being a little less dramatic in our speech. You know, let's be accurate. Let's be specific and succinct in our speech. Let's not exaggerate things. Another kind of lie is, is similar to that. It's the lie of inflations where we always make things seem better than they really are. Everything's awesome. Everything's a blessing. Everything's incredible. We might say that about a worship service or a vacation, maybe a sermon, you know. We tend to paint this kind of picture on Facebook and Instagram, don't we? We only ever put our best selves forward on Facebook and Instagram. Well, the problem with this is it can create cynicism. In other people, because obviously nobody's life is perfect. Nobody's family has it all together all the time. Everything can't be the best ever. So when we inflate things to try to make our lives or make our church or make our kids or whatever seem better than they are, we're guilty of lying. And then another kind of lie that we often tell is the benevolent lie. You know, that's when we cover up for someone when we should be confronting someone. 
You know, we don't want this person to get in trouble or we're trying to preserve their reputation. And so we tell a little benevolent lie. But in reality, we're doing that person no favors. So this morning, I want you to consider the last time you lied to someone. In what kinds of situations do you tend to shade the truth a little bit? How often do you twist, obscure, you know, hide the truth throughout the day? Are we using truthful words? Various proverbs remind us that God desires honesty in every area of our lives, from our relationships to our business dealings. It's what Proverbs 16.11 is referring to when it says that God wants our scales and balances to be honest. He wants us to be honest in our business dealings. This reminds me of the, uh, the episode of the Andy Griffith Show where Opie is trying to sell his bike. But he's not honest with his friend about all the problems with the bike. And so he proudly tells his dad, you know, how he kind of, you know, snuck this over on his friend. And Andy says, you can't do that. You've got to be honest. You need to go back and tell him what is wrong with that bike and offer him back his money. And Opie didn't like that. Well, Andy in that episode is trying to sell the house. And so some people come over looking at the house and he's just painting this rosy picture of the house. And Opie keeps saying, oh, but dad, did you tell him about this? Did you tell him about that? And so Andy kind of learns that, yeah. Honesty is always the best course of action, but is it always easy? No, it's not. But God is by nature truth. All His words are flawless and true. And that's why we must speak truthfully to others because we as Christians are new creations in Christ. We're supposed to be exhibiting the character of Christ and being more like Him every day. Let's use truthful words. Second kind of words we need to use are kind words. Kind words. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, it says, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. It's not enough for our words to be truthful alone. We have to speak that truth in love. We have to be kind. Now, what does it mean to be kind? Kind is one of those words that we use but we don't really know what it means. How do you define kind? What's the difference between being nice and being kind? Being good, being kind, what's the difference? Well, kindness here means pleasant and sweet, timely and thoughtful. Now, last week we talked about the power of words to give life. And so we should never use words as a weapon. We should never speak truth you know, as if they're bullets that we're aiming at someone. When you're speaking truthfully to someone, you should always check your motives. Are you using truth as an ammunition to win an argument? To punish someone or to, to pay them back or embarrass them in some way? Are you trying to undermine what that person is saying just because you don't want to listen to a different opinion? Are you using your words to defend your ego, to complain? To make yourself look good. Paul gives us a good test for how we use even our true words. Ephesians 4.29, we looked at this last week, says that we should say only what is helpful for building others up according to whose needs? Their needs, not my needs. I should only say what is helpful to build others up according to their needs 
that it may benefit me. No, that it may benefit those who listen. We should always have a ministry motive when we speak the truth. It should always be for the benefit of the people we're talking to, not our benefit. Now, just a few verses earlier in verse 15, Paul wrote that instead of speaking deceitfully to each other, we should speak the truth in love. So truth should always be spoken from love, and it should always be spoken with love. And that's how we can avoid those benevolent or those polite lies. Because really, benevolent and polite lies are lies of convenience. They're easy. We say those things because it's it's the easy way out. But it takes forethought. It takes effort. It takes creativity to speak truth in love. To use kind words when you have to say an unpleasant truth. Uh, Mr. Eric, I know that's, that's kind of the philosophy behind PBIS. You know, you've got to correct a child when they're doing wrong, but it's how you say those words. And it does, create, it does take creativity. It does take forethought and effort to try to speak those kinds of words to other people. Joseph Telushkin, author of Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, lectures throughout the country on the power of words, the positive and the negative impact of words. And he often will ask those in his audience if they could go 24 hours without saying an unkind word to or about another person. And sometimes there might be a you know, few little hands that raise, but most often there's nervous laughter and people will even outright just say, no, can't do that. And Telushkin responds, this is what he always says. He says, those who can't answer yes must recognize that you have a serious problem. If you cannot go 24 hours without drinking liquor, you're probably an alcoholic. If you cannot go 24 hours without smoking, you're probably addicted to nicotine. And similarly, if you can't go 24 hours without saying unkind words to or about others, you've lost control of your tongue. Well, that puts it in a different light, doesn't it? Sometimes we become addicted to saying unkind words, to complaining. Can you go 24 hours without saying something unkind? I want to challenge us to try that. Let's see if we can't go the next 24 hours without saying something unkind to or about someone. And that includes the comment sections on Facebook. When we have to speak an unpleasant truth to someone, let's always do it with kind words. The third kind of words we should be using are gentle words. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. On the other hand, a harsh word stirs up anger. Now you may be wondering, David, what's the difference between gentle and kind? Well, let me, let me give you a little way of thinking about these three kinds of words we've talked about already. All right? Truthful words are the what. Truthful words are the what. That's the content. What you're saying. Is it true or is it not? Kind words are the why. Kindness is about motivation. It's the motive behind why are you saying these words to someone. Gentle words are the how. Gentleness is the tone of our speech. And to be gentle in our speech means that we're respectful. We're friendly in how we say what we say. Especially when we're angry. We have to make sure that our tone 
is gentle rather than harsh. And I'll admit, this is not easy. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? (laughs) That's not easy to always keep that anger, that frustration in check and be gentle with our words. 1 Kings 12 tells us the story of King Rehoboam of Israel. And King Rehoboam used some harsh words on his subjects. And as a result, he divided the kingdom. And Israel split between north and south, Israel and Judah, all because the king chose to use harsh words instead of gentle words. Paul tells us in Romans 12, 14, that we should bless those who persecute us. Bless, do not curse. So when we answer with gentle words, when we bless those even who curse us, we can disarm and de-escalate that argument. Even if the other person doesn't want to hear us, we can at least communicate to them that we care more about the relationship than we do just winning the argument by how we say what we say. You know, I understand, especially in today's day and age, harsh words play well with those who agree with us, right? And and people today love to sort of Twitter mob folks or they love to, you know, try to own the other side of the argument through some, you know, meme or something on the Internet. But, you know, that kind of language does not persuade the other side to listen to what you have to say, does it? It only kind of makes you and those who agree with you feel good about yourselves. We as Christians have got to do better. We've got to teach an uncivil society that has rejected absolute truth the power of truthful, kind, and gentle words. We need to be shaping our culture in that way. Be light in the darkness, salt in the earth, even in how we say what we say. Number four, choice words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 20 and 32 says, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. And then in verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Choice words are well-crafted words that are appropriate for the circumstances. They're not reckless. They're not thoughtless. They're not impulsive. A wise person knows what kind of words appeal and appease and find favor with others. And when we're motivated by love to confront someone with the truth, we need to wisely fit our words to the circumstance, to the capacity and the sensibility and the temperament of the person we're trying to talk to. Now think about a missionary in another culture has to fit the right words to convey the gospel to that culture. They've got to make sure they choose their words well. When I've been on mission trips in the past, you know, if if you're... And I preached a revival in in Brazil once on a mission trip, and I had to be careful about the illustrations I used. And they told us, just don't tell jokes. Just don't tell jokes. I know you guys probably think the same thing. David, just don't tell jokes. (laughs) But they said the jokes won't translate. What's funny in America doesn't make any sense in Brazil, necessarily. And so you have to choose your words well. How much more true should that be of us just in our everyday life? We should use words that are as attractive as possible. As Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? And so that spoonful of sugar in what you say and the choice of words you use can make a huge difference. It's like a mechanic who's working on your car. They've got to use the right tool 
or they're going to break something or they're going to hurt themselves. A physician has to prescribe the right medication. You want them making, making intentional, wise choices because, and our words are the same way, because with our words we can either make a friend or we can make an enemy. We can either wound or we can heal. We can either bring together or we can divide. Let's use choice words. And number five, let's use timely words. Proverbs twelve twenty three says, A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. And then in fifteen twenty three it says, A man finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Proverbs 25.11 also says a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now sometimes the best wisdom is simply not to speak much at all, right? Sometimes a word can only make the situation worse. Such as if you're meeting with a grieving person, if you're, if you're visiting with someone who is, who is deep in grief, sometimes the best thing for you to do is to say very little. And just be there with that person. And when you do say something, pray about it and think it over. Use those choice words. We need to be aware of the timing when it comes to what we say to someone. Because sometimes you have to earn the right to say something before you can say something to someone and and them hear it. So timing. You may be like, well, I want to say something to this person that I know is true but I don't think really I'm the person to say it. I don't think now is the time for me to say it. I don't know that person well enough. I've not built a relationship with them yet. And when we speak timely words, it also means that we don't say things in public that should be said in private, right? Now you think about like correcting or reprimanding someone. It's not in the book of Proverbs, but there's a wise saying that says, don't engage the mouth without first engaging the brain. Stop and think, is this the time and place really for me to say this? And sometimes the first thing that we said to someone really should have been the third, the fifth, or the, or the, you know, just the later thing that we should have said to someone. Take time to think before you speak, and you may discover you don't need to say anything at all. Timeliness is difficult to achieve, though, because we're either impatient or we're indecisive. Either we just are impatient and we rush to say something that shouldn't be said yet, or we're indecisive. It goes the other way too. And we don't say something that really needed to be said. So we should pray for God to give us wisdom about the timing of our words. Consider the last time you or someone you know said something true but untimely. You know, maybe you lost your cool and you got onto your child in front of their friends, or you got onto a student in front of a classroom, or you got onto a coworker or an employee around other employees, and you immediately regretted it because you know I should have waited and said that to that person in private instead of in front of all these people. Or maybe you assumed what someone thought, felt, or, or maybe you were basing your assumptions off of a rumor about someone, and you, you lay into that person without ever really talking to them about it. Now, part of timeliness is listening before you speak. Because guess what? If you, if you speak based on an assumption, if you speak before you really get to know the person or you really understand the situation, 
then you're guilty of prejudging them. And you know what another word for prejudge is? Prejudice. It's where prejudice comes from. It means to prejudge someone. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Or the official Bible verse for Twitter should be Proverbs 18, 2. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinion. One of the skills I try to teach when I do premarital counseling is active listening. I try to help couples understand what active listening is. And active listening is basically where you actually try to listen to understand what the other person is trying to say to you instead of just waiting for them to stop talking so you can say what you want to say. How many of us are guilty of that? We do that. You're not really listening. Try to seek to understand the other person and respond to them, not in the way you think they feel or believe, but based on what they actually have said to you. When we speak before we really listen and understand, we're speaking out of prejudice because we've prejudged that person. Instead, let's take the time to listen. Let's seek to understand timely words. And finally, we need to use healing words. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. There's a story in 1 Samuel 14 where Jonathan is faint with hunger. He's in the midst of a, of a battle and he finds some honeycomb. And, it's, he's, and I don't mean the cereal. He finds some honeycomb and he eats it and he's immediately, his eyes are brightened, it says. He finds fresh energy. He's revived to continue the fight. Words can do the same. They can be sweet to the soul like honey. They can bring healing and renewal. You can energize somebody by what you say to them. Proverbs references so many different ills in which our healing words can, can bring alleviation. Just two examples, two verses we've already looked at this morning. Proverbs 12.25 that said, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but kind words cheer him up. So kind speech can heal people of their anxiety. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Gentle speech can heal anger and resentment. Whenever we can combine these various aspects of wise words, kind words, timely words, gentle words, truthful words, choice words, healing words, when we can start to incorporate these words into our vocabulary, we will be in a position to strengthen to heal, to bless, to build up the people in our lives. I want you to look at your notes. Look over those six kinds of words. Which one do you need to work on the most? And I just want to invite you to put a little star. Put a little star by the one that you think, you know what, that's the one I need to focus on. That's the kind of speech I need to work on having more of in my life. I need to be more timely. I need to start listening before I speak. Or I need to be more gentle. I need to watch my tone and how I say what I say. Our words can kill or they can give life. Our words can tear down or they can build up. They can divide or they can unite. They can wound or they can heal. But I want to close with one final question. What can heal our words? What can heal our words? One of the first verses we read this morning, Proverbs 22:11, said that wisdom from a pure heart 
can make our speech prudent and grace-filled. Or as Jesus said, out of the heart the mouth speaks. You see, the problem isn't with our mouths. The problem isn't really with our words. The problem is with our heart. Amen? We have a heart problem. I want to wrap up with, real quick with two contrasting stories. You probably know these already. The Tower of Babel. You know the story of the Tower of Babel? It says that mankind had gathered together on the plains of Shinar and, and they were proud. They were arrogant. And they said, let's build a great big city and a tower that reaches to the sky so that we can make a name for ourselves. And so God looked down at their pride and their arrogance and their self-sufficiency. He confused their language and He scattered them. There's another story in the New Testament that's almost the exact opposite of that story. It's the day of Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, you had all these people that spoke all these different languages. And they all came together in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples. And they began to preach and everyone could hear the gospel as if they were all speaking one language. And what were they saying with those words? They weren't making a great name for themselves. They were proclaiming the great name of Jesus. See, that's the question for us. Our hearts can either be filled with making names for ourselves or our hearts can be filled with making His name great. The difference is what are you filled with? Are you filled with yourself? Or are you filled with the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit of God is the one who makes our hearts pure. He is the one who can heal our words. Do you have the Holy Spirit in your heart this morning? You know how you know? Have you come to the point in your life where you recognize not just your words, but your heart and your thoughts and your motives and your actions were all against what God and His Word says? That's called sin. You realize your sin. You realize that you're lost. You're separated from God. You're trying to run your life the way you think it should be run and it's just not working for you. And you come to realize that God loved you so much that Jesus died on the cross. He took your sin, your brokenness and shame upon Himself and He paid that price that you might be declared righteous, that you could have forgiveness of your sin and eternal life that you can have the Spirit of God inside of you to heal you from the inside out. And when you come to that place of realization, you cry out to Jesus for His grace and His mercy. You say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've said, I've thought, I've done things against you. Would you forgive me? Jesus, would you save me? Would you come and live inside of me and help me to live for you? If you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never given your heart and trust to Jesus Christ, in a moment we're going to sing, and I invite you to come and do that today. Maybe this morning you're a believer, you're a Christian, you know God is in your heart, but you've just not been letting the Spirit's work make its way just these few inches, right, from here to here. And you need to come and maybe kneel at this altar and just pray and say, God, forgive me for the words that I say. Forgive me for the lies that I tell. Forgive me for the way that I use my words as weapons. And help me to use your words wisely. Whatever God has laid on your heart today, I pray you would respond. Would you stand and pray with me? Father, we are thankful for Your Word. Your Word is true. Your Word is kind and gentle. Your Word is a choice Word. Inspired every word of it by You. 
Your word is timely. You say to us exactly what we need to hear at the right moment. And your word truly does bring healing. Father, may our words be more in alignment with your word. We ask it all in Jesus' name.